Your passcode has been accepted. Please stand by. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the BMC Configuring Simple Service Modeling and PCA webinar. Today's conference is being recorded. And at this time, I'd like to turn the call over to Mr. Cedric Rawls. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, so hello to everyone who's joining the call today. Uh, this is uh, the next uh, iteration of the content in our series centered around uh, simple service models and PCA. Uh, we have Hudson Meeks, who will be our presenter, delivering uh, the content to everyone. <clears throat> A few reminders to, to everyone. Uh, we will be handling the Q&A uh, through our Q&A window in the, uh, the WebEx console, so please post your questions there. We will answer them as uh, best as possible if, if there are some that we don't get to. We do answer them uh, after the session is over and, and end up posting them as well. Uh, again, the content, uh, the recording will all be posted on our BMC Communities page. If you are, are not familiar with that, feel free to go to the BMC Community site and do a, a simple search on BMC BPPM 9.5 webinars, and you will see them there. With that, uh, I will go ahead and turn it over to Hudson. Thanks. Thank you, Cedric. A um, couple of things before we actually dig, dig into the details here that I want to make clear to everyone is this session is very focused on simple service models with the purpose of supporting probable cause analysis which is what PCA stands for. Um, we're not going to have a bunch of content in here on PCA itself. Okay, PCA, or probable cause analysis, again, is supported through the baselines and the advanced thresholding and things like that that you do in BPPM, and we've had a, a couple of sessions on that already um, that, that you know, go into that topic. So again, the, the general purpose of this overall is to talk about simple service models I'll explain what we mean by simple service models here in a bit. Um, we're also going to have a, a kind of a review on, on service modeling itself at a very high level just to set the stage appropriately. Also want you to be aware that there's some content we're going to go over that is basically custom type uh, code, primarily Perl scripts. We're also going to touch on some capabilities that has been introduced through the field. Um, to customers using Pentaho to build service models and so forth. Um, and I want you to be aware that, you know, obviously BMC does not develop and deliver and fully support Pentaho, um, and, and also any custom Perl scripts that may be created in the field, be aware that our customer support folks may not be readily knowledgeable in any particular custom Perl script that might have been created in your environment, okay? Um, which ultimately means they can't, quote, unquote, officially support it like they can a BMC product. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that we won't provide help with it and guidance and so forth. Um, and it certainly doesn't mean that we would shy away from components that the, uh, the scripting mechanisms, mechanisms you know, pull, leverage and so forth in, in, the, um, in the environment. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So just be aware of those disclaimers. Also, you probably noticed that the look and feel of this presentation is quite different from the previous ones. Um, we're, we're showing, you know, our new logo here and our new colors and so forth. 
Um, and the term true site is being used instead of the older term called BPPM. So don't, don't get confused and think that true site is a completely different, you know, technically a different product today than BPPM is. And in fact, um, today if you have a true site license, um, you could actually download TrueSight and install it. And when you, inst when you install TrueSight operations, um, the TrueSight operations um, product or solution, you're actually installing the same basic code set that you would get if you downloaded BBPM version 9.6. Okay? Um, and then as, as time goes on, you know, this, the, the TrueSight uh, uh, product will be upgraded and, and improved and so forth as you would expect any, any solution to be improved by a vendor. Uh, so just want to make sure that you're clear and understand that um, what we talk about regarding TrueSight today, although we're using that term, the concepts that we're going to present here and the capabilities apply 100% to BPPM and not just 9.6 BPPM, but also previous versions of BPPM, such as 9.5 and even, even 9.0 and so forth. Okay, so with that clarified, um, this presentation and, and webinar here, um, an overview is very similar to what we've done in the past with, with our previous best practices. We consider this more or less a first-level training. It's, it's an introduction to what we're calling simple service modeling. Um, and discussion as to why you would use simple service modeling and so forth. Um, it's more focused on a best practice versus a how-to. However, there is going to be some detail in here regarding how-to. We're actually going to show some example of, of a Perl script and, and talk about some, some detailed things that you need to be aware of when you, when you go to, to actually build simple service models, leveraging the, what's called the direct data feed method. Um, it's covering core BPPM components. We can't possibly address every scenario, especially when you start thinking about service modeling and how you may want to build a service model to support your specific business requirements and your specific environment. That can, be, that can vary somewhat. Okay? So we, we can't really go into every single possible scenario and all the details of it. Uh, so we're going to hit the high points here. Um, and, and cover the, the things that are the most impactful, if you will. Certainly prior knowledge of BPM components and terms is very valuable if you're viewing this session. Um, if you haven't already reviewed our previous best practices for service modeling itself, which was actually delivered with BPM 8.6, uh, the general concepts for service modeling from a best practice perspective, still apply today with, with uh, TrueSight 9.6 and BBPM 9.6, um, as well as 9.5 and so forth. So, um, you know, that, that knowledge is very valuable. We can't possibly, in the time frame allotted here, go through a reiteration of all of the best practices for service modeling and cover simple service modeling. Um, so if you haven't already reviewed our materials regarding best practices for service modeling in general, general, we strongly recommend that you go back and review that. And, and you could do that after viewing the session if, if that's appropriate for you. So our agenda today, um, first we're going to have a brief review, like I stated, of service modeling itself. Then we're going to talk about what is simple service modeling, um, put, some, put a fence around that and some constraints around that. 
Um, also, we'll talk about use cases for simple service modeling, not just specific types of use cases regarding specific examples, different types of examples of a, quote, simple service model, but also why would you use simple service modeling versus um, a more granular um, service model and leveraging CMDB integration and all of that with TrueSight and or BDPM. Um, we'll talk about some simple service modeling methods. That's where we'll talk about the Perl script and so forth. Um, and and the, the Perl script that I'm going to show you is just an example, uh, as well as we're going to hit on a couple of slides going over some examples of how Pintaho might have been used uh, or has been used actually in, in the field. Um, these are just examples that we'll get into. Um, and we'll talk about the three major methods for service modeling here, simple service modeling, either manually building models, um, a scripting model method, um, as well as advanced um, modeling method. We'll hit on that briefly, and that's the Pintaho approach. And then we'll wrap up with some general recommendations. Okay, so a brief review of service modeling. Um, first of all, when you go to build a service model, you really need to know what your overall goal is and what the purpose is. So I think it's beneficial to you know, reiterate just exactly what is a service model. It's a logical representation of, that basically shows how your IT infrastructure from a technology perspective supports a business application and, and, the, and hence business services and organizations and so forth. Okay. It includes several categories that can be considered service models, such as a network topology or a data flow or a dependency model and an impact model. So at a very high level, that's ultimately what a service model is. Now, when we start talking about service models within TrueSight, um, what we're really talking about are impact models so that we quickly and can quickly and readily understand from a monitoring perspective how the health and status of the technical IT infrastructure is supporting a business application or applications and in turn business services. Okay? Other types of models that are not impact models may have some input directly or, or indirectly on how an impact model is designed. Okay? But it's extremely important that you, that you keep in mind that a service model within the context of TrueSight is primarily an impact model that we're talking about here. And at a very high level, service modeling has basically two primary purposes. Um, first, it provides a way to monitor the managed environment from a service perspective rather than just a technology perspective. So understanding automatically um, when, a, when a server goes down or a queue fills up or a, a process dies or something like that unexpectedly, how has that impacted uh, the environment and, and monitoring those, those kinds of occurrences from a business service or application service perspective rather than just a pure technology perspective. Pure technology meaning, hey, this thing died. I need to go fix it right now. Okay? And being able to prioritize um, you know, those, those occurrences against each other and go, go fix the, the most impactful um, events or occurrences of those problems um, you know, quickly and, and readily and, and be able to sort all of that out. That's, that's, a, that's what we mean by monitoring from a service perspective. 
Then secondly, quite importantly as well, um, in TrueSight, we require today at least, in, in the current version, we require some form of a service model in order to support probable cause analysis, where probable cause analysis you know, speeds up your root cause analysis, where you can right-click on an application performance event and run probable cause analysis, and the, the, uh, the TrueSight product produces you a list of most probable um, events and or abnormalities that are related to the true you know, root cause of the problem that, that is, is causing the, the application response time issue. Okay? So it's extremely important, you know, starting at a very high level, that we understand what our goal is of service modeling. And I don't mean to, to whip a dead horse here or repeat things that you've heard before. I think it's very valuable that we always take a, a step back and think about the primary purpose of service modeling because, after all, what you build in a service model needs to support those primary purposes. Okay? Um, another thing to understand, and I, and I repeat this over and over with folks because as, as technology you know, people, and, and myself included, I tend to kind of gravitate away from this concept. So I, I, I like to repeat it not only for other people but for myself as well. So when we look at the, the blue um, components here, this represents the environment from a physical perspective. You've got the Internet. You've got um, Internet connectivity through a firewall to some application server and a front-end web server and so forth, and behind that maybe another firewall and a database server. And obviously this is an, a, a simplified example of a, of a business application um, or sales, possibly a sales type of application that's made available over the Internet. Okay. And so how would you actually take this, this environment and model it? Well, you know, one way to look at it is to think about how the transactions get processed. Okay? So um, transactions come in through this money transfer, um, you know, through, through the Internet over, over a money transfer uh, web GUI, and they get processed through firewall number one, and the web server processes them back into the application server, and then the application server connects through a firewall to the database and so forth. So when you look at this flow, okay, it, it's, a, it's a technology description and um, architecture of how the transactions flow through the environment okay, at a technical level. In other words, an electronic you know, level over the, over the network. But this is not really a service model. Okay? And the, one of the quickest ways to readily understand that is to start asking some questions. So, for example, does the failure of the database impact the firewall? Well, the answer to that is no, it does not. It impacts the transaction, quite obviously, but it doesn't have an impact to the firewall. So this is where we, where we you know, start making a clear distinction between a, a, a technology um, electronic connection dependency versus an impact relationship. Okay? And so if you start asking that kind of question up and down this entire stack, you'll readily you know, recognize pretty quickly that this, is, although this is a great representation of how the transaction is electronically processed, it's really not an impact service model. So what really would an impact service model for this look like? 
well, this is a much more accurate and, and, and you know, reasonable representation, proper representation of an impact service model for this money transfer application. Okay? Uh, money transfer is our business service, basically, or our application service. And then underneath that, we've got application services, which is a logical uh, CI, web services that also support it. The application services have to be up and running. The web services have to be up and running. And there may be security services involving the firewalls as well that have to be up and running to support this. But, you know, you can go back and start asking the same question again. Does the firewall, if it goes down, does it impact the application server? Well, no, it doesn't. It impacts the transactions that would flow through the application servers, but it doesn't directly impact the application servers themselves, okay? So then down at this, this lower level, um, grouped it within the, or assigned to as, as providers to the application services, we have you know, database, uh, databases, the application service servers, web servers are separate. Now, how this is actually laid out is, is dependent on your needs, your environment, and how the application is actually designed as well. So there has to be some decision-making in how um, a service model is, is, is actually constructed, and that decision-making needs to be based on a number of different things that we're going to get into. One of them is uh, quite clearly, technically, how does the application actually work? So in this simple example, there's an assumption made here that these web server, um, HTTP servers, Apache or IIS, whatever it may be, that they're relatively static and, and that they're not dynamically driven by content from the application servers that is, um, you know, ultimately provided from the data store, okay? So if, if you had some dynamic HTML as an example, what you might decide to do, depending on your business needs and how you want to manage this, you might decide that you actually do have an impact dependency between the application servers and the web servers. Okay? I don't mean to go down a rat hole with this, but just be aware that you know, technically how an application is designed and actually works may or may not dictate how you define your impact relationships and so forth. And that decision, as well as things like clustering that we'll talk about in a little bit here, drive the level of difficulty and the level of effort required to um, you know, build a service model depending on the level of granular accuracy that you desire to support your you know, your business needs and so forth. And I'll keep coming back to this concept of granular Concept of simple service modeling is used to produce service models 
when a fully integrated solution and or granular accuracy is either not possible or it cannot be implemented within the time frame re required. Okay, we'll talk about some scenarios where um, that we've run into. We've got quite a quite a bit of experience with this in the field with various customers and so forth. And we'll talk about some scenarios in those cases without naming any customer names here. And I think a very important part of this second bullet is this and or statement. Okay, um, it could be that you're not prepared to implement a fully integrated solution yet. Um, or it could be that the granular level of accuracy is just too much from a cost perspective and time perspective for you to achieve. Okay? It may or may not involve the CMDB. So you can still leverage the CMDB and I, IMD, you know, Impact Model Designer and the publishing server and all that to create a simple service model. Okay? And we're not throwing out the CMDB from this concept. Um, it can be supported with multiple data sources, including ADDM. So you may have data sources that you could leverage to build your service models from that comes from some other systems in your environment or even spreadsheets that you might already have in your environment for keeping track of stuff. Um, and or you may collect the data from ADDM. We have some customers who are actually doing that, okay, and, and not actually using the CMDB, or it could be ADDM providing data to the CMDB. Um, this, is, this is really, this last bullet's a really important one. So the effort related to following these following activities is usually reduced in, and in some cases could be eliminated, all right? Um, and, and that's really the, the, the intent of simple service modeling, is to make the service modeling, service model building process quicker and easier and usually when you want to make something quicker and easier, you've got to start stripping out certain capabilities and so forth. Um, so what do we mean by, you know, reducing um, the effort and making things quicker and easier? Well, one of the things that can get quicker and easier here is service model decomposition. It doesn't mean that we're going to completely avoid the concept of service model decomposition. It means we're going to reduce the effort there, okay? Um, we may also reduce or eliminate the effort around impact computation. So when we talk about impact computation, what we're referring to is things like the detailed priority and severity analysis computations that are available within um, TrueSight. Just because the capability is there does not mean that you have to use it. Okay? If it makes sense to use it from a business perspective, then absolutely leverage it. But if it doesn't make sense, if the F level of effort doesn't make sense from a, a value perspective, then why, why go use that feature? Just because the feature is there doesn't mean you have to use it. And by the way, a quick note here, you'll notice these different colored um, you know, uh, bullets within these slides. The coloring is not intended to draw any kind of emphasis or highlight to a particular point. All of the points we're making here are important. It's just a, it it's just bre helps break up um, the slides and makes it easier for you to hopefully easier for you guys to read it and so forth. Um, also, we're talking about reducing the the level of detailed analysis that's required for impact status propagation settings. So when you think about weighted clusters versus just propagating um, a decreasing um, status upstream from a, a provider CI to the consumer CI, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. 
Okay, you may also decide that weighted clusters are not really necessary. Although we can do it, it may not be something that's necessary in your environment. Okay, um, and, and a last thing that's very important here is automated updates. Okay, um, you, you, there are some some environments that I've worked with. In fact, one fairly recently where the the environment doesn't change rapidly, um, and if that's true, then the the need to you know, dynamically run ADDM on a scheduled basis and automatically update um, the service models according to changes that ADDM discovers and so forth and have that all flow through um, the CMDB and on over into TrueSight uh, may not really be necessary, okay? Um, so simple service modeling, in most cases, you'll, you'll, as you'll see as we come up here, it's not going to involve automated updates, although if you're following a scripting method, it could be it could involve an automated update. Okay, so that that's ultimately what we mean by simple service modeling. Now, what are the different methods that we recommend and, and approaches that can be used to build simple service models? Well, quite obviously, you can manually build models. You could you could build them actually through the TrueSight administration GUI. Okay, now. Um, a, a quick point I want to make about simple service models and, and some of the content that we're providing in these slides. Number one, BMC does not consider simple service modeling to be the end all and the overall best practice for service modeling. Okay? We still believe and advocate that a fully integrated solution suite with the ADDM and tied in with ITSM and all of its uh, capabilities regarding you know, asset management and incident management and change management and all of that, um, you know, a fully integrated solution suite is um, the, the right way to go. And we also believe that going as granular as necessary to support your business needs is the overall best practice. So you know, we're focusing on simple service models here, and we're not saying that simple service models shouldn't be used. But we're also not trying to advocate that they are the end-all, overall best practice. And, and also these points on, on this uh, slide, you know, neither one of these is necessarily an, the one single best practice. There's times when manual makes sense. There's times when a bulk data feed makes sense using a Perl script and, and, and whatnot. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, when these different methods make sense and so forth coming up on some slides here. So another, a second method is, is direct data feed into TrueSight, leveraging data from external sources, usually in a CSV format. Um, and they're, they're all, it's ultimately loaded into TrueSight using some Perl scripts or, a, or even a single Perl script. And we'll talk about why a Perl script and, and you know, how that needs to be constructed and provide an example of that here coming up. Um, and also there's an advanced bulk data feed uh, capability. I've kind of labeled this advanced because it's more advanced than just using a, a basic Perl script. It leverages Pentaho. It's been in, introduced in the field to a number of different customers and has been somewhat well, well received as well as this Perl scripting concept as well. Um, and ultimately it provides some additional capabilities beyond um, just a straight Perl scripting approach. And we'll talk about what those, what those capabilities are. There's some advantages and disadvantages for each one of these uh, methods as well that we'll talk about. And last but not least, again, we're not throwing out the CMDB integration when we start talking about simple service models. 
So simple service modeling is not you know, limited to just this direct data feed or this manual entry of, um, of service models. Um, you can still build simple service models uh, through Impact Model Designer um, leveraging data that was populated by ADDM into the CMDB and publish those simple service models over into uh, TrueSight as you, as you normally would for a more granular and more robust service model. Okay, um, so let, let's talk about some use cases here. And this, this concept of use cases is, it includes at a very high level two different um, you know, things to consider. The first one is ultimately why would you, you know, go and, and use simple service modeling versus um, a more, you know, granular service modeling and more robust service modeling approach? Why might you, um, you know, leverage the data feed mechanisms instead of the CMDB and those kinds of things? There's certainly use cases in, in why you would do that. Uh, that need to be talked about a little bit here. And then there's, then from a use case perspective also, there's specific types of simple service models and, and their corresponding use cases and the value they can provide, as well as what you don't get if you follow one of those approaches that we're going to talk about here. So, okay, so ultimately why would you, you know, go about building simple service models? Well, first of all, a, a little history and, and discussion here. Um, granular, ac granularly accurate service modeling, and when I say granularly accurate, I mean you're including uh, weighted clusters, you're including um, you know, impact propagation, uh, computation analysis, not just associated with, with um, the um, the weighted clusters, but also with, you know, things like status and priority taken into account and those kinds of things, okay? Um, along with a completely integrated solution um, leveraging the CMDB, ultimately that has to be conducted in phases, which means it's time-consuming. It includes multiple disciplines. Monitoring, quite obviously, has to be in place. ADDM and discovery have to be in place. Um, TPL configuration, CAM, and so forth built within ADDM has to be um, configured appropriately. ITSM needs to be stood up and in place. Obviously, the CMDB has to be in, in place. All the integrations between these different components has to be in place, okay? Normally, we recommend from a phasing perspective that you start small in some form or fashion. You start small, and then you implement additional capabilities so get some additional value first and then implement additional capabilities as time goes by until ultimately you have a fully integrated BSM type solution. Some folks have referred to this as a crawl, walk, run type of approach. I think that's some very good wording around this. In other words, start off simple, then get a little bit more robust, and then, then get really robust with the run phase. Okay? And each one of these can be done in production over time. Okay? And I'm not going to go into a bunch of details about how you might approach crawl, walk, run. Um, there's some great presentations and, um, and, and assistance that you can get from our consulting services folks and so forth um, around this concept. Um, so that, you know, keep in mind that this presentation is more focused around how you would go about building simple service models, kind of starting off in the crawl, maybe kind of you know, getting over into the walk area, um, and so forth. 
Okay, so a, a, a fully blown, you know, service modeling solution that's very granular in accuracy and is fully integrated and so forth also requires coordination of multiple te teams and solution components. So the monitoring team, the ITSM team, including asset management, change management, incident management, and so forth, along with the CMDB, along with discovery again, those all have to, those, the folks doing all those different kinds of things have to be in sync. And as, as we well know, the more teams that you pull into a project, the more complicated the project becomes and the longer it takes to implement um, and, and come to, to you know, a conclusion on the overall project. This also requires compatible versions, okay? Um, and, and we've got some best practice slides that we've talked about you know, previously regarding upgrade migration and compatibility and so forth that you should take a look at if you have not. So at the end of the day, you know, this commonly, a, a full-blown solution like this, commonly takes months to implement even with consulting services assistance. Because, not just because of the product, but because of all the different things that have to come together in order for it to work appropriately and completely. And in some cases, unfortunately, um, we've seen projects that, that have actually lasted for a couple of years. And, and, and um, it, with a number of different customers, we have solved the issue with simple service modeling. We've said, hey, you know, let's stop, let's take a, let's take a step back and look at what do you really need to be successful with service modeling to support your business needs and so forth, okay? So that's, this is the primary overall reasoning around leveraging simple service models. Um, so, and, and this is a little bit of reiteration of what I've talked about. Historically, we've mainly seen two service model scenarios in the field. Now, this doesn't mean that, um, you know, that, there, that, that all service modeling has, falls into one of these two categories. But most of the service modeling projects that we've run into um, out in the field fall into one of these, these um, categories until we implement ser simple service modeling. So either the customer has gone to a lot of effort um, along with assistance from partners and or um, consulting services from BMC to actually implement a fully, you know, full-blown solution that's very granular in service modeling with weighted clusters and all that kind of stuff, uh, leveraging ADDM and the CMDB and all the integrations and so forth. Um, the other end of the spectrum, and unfortunately the only kind of other bucket that we've, we've bumped into until, in, until like the last six months or, you know, fairly recently here, is no service models are implemented. The customer has got the solution in place, but they, they haven't been able to achieve any form of service modeling. And we find that basically there's been little to no middle ground or intermediate level of implementations uh, of service models. And that's unfortunate because uh, when you don't have a service model in place, there are certain abilities that you can't take advantage of. So, for example, as I stated earlier, probable cause analysis or PCA is dependent on you having a service model. Okay? You have to have some form of reasonable service model in order for uh, PCA to actually function properly today in TrueSight. Also, the inability to monitor from a service perspective is, is just not there. I mean, you have to have a service model in order to monitor from a service perspective. And also, the, overall, the inability to support a BSM strategy. So um, if you haven't implemented service models, yet you purchase the solution to achieve some level of BSM, 
um, in, in your you know in, in your IT operations and, and, and monitoring and management and so forth, then you're not getting the value out of the solution that you should. And you, you ultimately, you should not allow service modeling to interrupt that and, and to prevent you from, from gaining that value. And simple service modeling can, can definitely help you get there. Okay, so what about some use cases for simple service modeling? When, do you, when would you use it? Okay, overall, when would you use one of the methods for simple service modeling? Well, clearly, if the Atrium CMDB is not in use or is not available for some reason, then that, you know, it would certainly indicate that you would want to use a data, a, a direct data feed type of approach, which means ultimately you want a simple service modeling approach. Um, data in the Atrium CMDB is not appropriate for impact service models in TrueSight for some reason or another. Maybe it's an older um, version of the CMDB that was set up and constructed very specifically for something like asset management and didn't really take into account monitoring and impact models and you're struggling with that, that may be a, a good reason to implement simple service modeling. Um, another example is, and we've run into all these examples, okay, the project for monitoring availability and performance is on a faster or a completely different schedule compared to the project for the CMDB discovery and ITSM, and you need to get value out of it from a, uh, a service modeling and probable cause analysis per perspective quicker than the other projects for the CMDB discovery and ITSM can be completed. Okay, so that that's definitely one of the reasons for it. Um, if there's a lack of expertise in the CMDB and discovery to support data for service modeling, that may be a reason for it, okay? Depending on who's responsible for what and, you know, what teams, um, you know, are, are, are responsible for the different parts of the solution, this may or may not be an issue. I've seen a situation with a particular customer where they had a contractor that was handling ADDM discovery and all of that, and there was a change in personnel and all that kind of stuff, and that threw the project timeline off and was delaying the ability for the folks that were implementing BPPM to actually build service models because they thought they had to, had to have the CMDB integration and all that kind of stuff in place. Another one is incompatible solution, uh, solution component versions um, that are in use in the projects. And, and they can't be upgraded in a, in a um, um, you know, a reasonable time frame so that everything can be in sync and work together. One example of this would be an old incompatible version of ITSM or CMDB in place and not ready for upgrade, okay? And when I say old version, I mean, you know, something that, that's considerably older that requires an upgrade for you to, um, you know, integrate with, say, BPPM 9.5 or TrueSight 9.6, which are the, the more recent versions in which we strongly recommend you get upgraded to. Another example I've run into, and, and other folks in the field have also run into, is older versions of Remedy where ITSM was more of a custom-built solution, okay? Like Remedy 6 is an example. Um, I don't know right now if the customer that I worked with on that still has Remedy 6 in place, but they, they certainly had, at the time, they certainly had an older version. It was Remedy 6, and they had their, a very customized solution of ITSM and asset management, um, you know, built that, you know, quite obviously would not readily integrate with BPPM. And there, they also had a scenario 
the same customer had the scenario where they were very focused on asset management from a remedy and CMDB perspective, and it didn't easily and readily um, you know, um, integrate not only from a versioning perspective, but also from a, a configuration, a, 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 a um, you know, CI class, you know, configuration perspective over into ITSM and so forth. So that's an, another example of why you would implement a simple service model. Um, also, probable cause analysis is required, but there is no CMDB available and ready for service models. Okay. And, and so maybe you're, you're, you're trying to get PCA functional quickly, and you need some kind of service model uh, to support that. Okay, so now we'll talk more about some, some use cases, you know, requirements basically in your environment that drive the types of simple service models you may create. Um, incident ticket assignment is one of them. Uh, depending on the versions and so forth, that you've got implemented and whether or not you can take advantage of intelligent ticketing and so forth, you may or may not require category type and item for CIs to be populated in a true site. Okay? Um, and that can be part of your simple service modeling approach if necessary. Level of accuracy uh, regarding impact. Okay? Um, and this is where, where, you know, an example of what I refer to as the granular level of accuracy. Um, examples that the, the two I like the most to illustrate this is weighted clusters. Do you really need to configure weighted, weighted clusters or not? Okay. Um, and, and, and what is the business value of you um, actually going to, to significant detail in defining and configuring, you know, very special specific impact status propagation? Okay. Think in terms, when I talk about granular level of accuracy from a service model perspective and simple service modeling, think in terms of quote unquote good enough service modeling. The idea is to, to build a service model that's good enough for your business needs but doesn't require you, you know, unnecessary levels of effort and so forth. Um, the level of service modeling required uh, for the managed environment, all right? So think about, you know, what is it that you're managing? What, what is the environment? Is it uh, production applications? Do you have, or have you decided you want to set up kind of, some kind of basic service models for development and test systems, okay? Um, the, the, you know, business requirements for those two scenarios may be very different. Another good way of looking at this is from a service offerings perspective, okay? Uh, so what level of monitoring service are you intending to provide to your end customers, whether they be external or internal customers? You know, bronze might be something that doesn't even have a service model. Silver might be a very, very basic service model that is really nothing more than a technical service model letting you know that um, when server XYZ has a problem, um, that's related to database services and impacts, um, you know, an online transaction processing um, application or whatever, okay? So the, the level of service offerings that you intend to provide can definitely have a, a major impact on how simple or how complex and granular a service model really needs to be. And that needs to be considered, obviously. Monitoring from a service perspective, 
Um, you know, do you need that? Is that what you want? Well, yeah, that's that's ultimately what a service model does. It's one of the key things that it, that it does. But what is the level of granular accuracy that you need to, in order to really achieve that from a business perspective? And and you know, when, when I keep talking about from a business perspective and granular level of accuracy, the idea here is to think about: Do I really need weighted cluster computations? And do I need to keep that automatically updated um, in order to support my business needs? And if the answer is yes, then what's the dollar value of that? Okay. And again, just because the capabilities in the product doesn't mean you have to use it. It may be very valuable to you, but it might not be. And that's something that you really have to make the decision on. Um, obviously, if probable cause analysis is important, then you need some kind of service model to support that. And you need the right type of service model to support that. You need a little bit more granular level of accuracy uh, to support that than, than what you would with um, just a monitoring from a service perspective and excluding PCA. And I have worked with a customer fairly recently who actually decided, you know, right now I don't really need to leverage PCA. What I'm trying to do right now at this point in time is you know, get my service models in place and be able to monitor from a service perspective. Later on, I may Im improve the granularity of the same service model so that I can better support PCA, but that's not one of my key goals right now. Okay? And last but not least, you know, consider the, the business value of, of all these different capabilities before you go off and, and start constructing and planning, um, you know, to implement certain capabilities in a service model, you need to really decide, you know, what, what do I need to accomplish from a business perspective and, and what's the dollar value of these different capabilities or at least an estimated kind of dollar value on these different capabilities. Things that are just nice to have, um, you know, may, may, be, um, may be great, but they may not be really needed and you may end up spending a lot of effort on something that you don't need to spend a whole lot of effort on. Um, Okay, so let, let's talk about kind of a, uh, an environment and, and start, you know, uh, building a simple service model here. We'll start off with a very simple environment, overly simplified so that we can show all of it on, on one slide and so forth. Um, so here's what the environment looks like. It's basically there's a business service. Um, it's an online store. Um, the business service is supported by multiple applications. Okay, so the business service has multiple applications um, that are part of it. There's different application services, which is online sales, and then another one is called account management. Online sales is where you know, users can log in over the Internet and buy stuff. Okay? Account management is where sales and management for the company that is providing, you know, selling these products um, can log in and analyze customers and, and um, you know, have some customer relationship management type data that they can run reports on and that kind of stuff, all right? And, and so for both online sales, the online sales application and the account management application, um, there's, a, there's a physical application that supports customer-driven online sales transactions um, for, for the first one here, and the, and the second one is the application that supports you know, company sales, rep, reps, and customer account knowledge type information. Um, they, they both include a dedicated database cluster and dedicated web application server clusters. 
okay, from a physical perspective. That's, that's what's deployed out in the environment that needs to be monitored. And in addition to this, there's some security services. Basically, there's a firewall, um, you know, on the front end of this that, that um, controls access and all that kind of stuff. So a very overly simplified um, environment here. You know, what would that look like from a, a simple service modeling perspective, okay? Well, there's a number of different choices here, okay? And, and this kind of gets to the crawl, walk, run approach. One mechanism for, you know, implementing this or one approach for implementing this is to set up what I would call or what we would call a service model of technology buckets, okay? So here at the top, we've got an online store business service. And then our technology buckets are just simply security, web services, and database servers. Okay? Um, and so now from, we, we've grouped everything from a technology perspective and made that our, quote, service model. And one reason for doing this is, the primary overall reason for doing this is, is that it's, it would be extremely easy to do assuming that, in, in, I think any environment would have this information, assuming that you know that any particular server is a web server versus a database server, and you know that it ultimately supports the online store, um, you know, business service. So quite easy to set this up. Um, doesn't take, you know, obviously you've got to do some level of, of service model decomposition um, and, and, you know, you know cr to create the model, um, but it's, it's very, very simple and very straightforward. But if you, so if you do this, that's great, but you have to keep in mind that there are certain things that it's going to provide for you and other things that it will not provide for you. You know, quite obviously, by nature, the sheer nature of, of, of the decision here, these technology buckets, is going to provide you technology categorization from a service modeling perspective. Um, you know, very clearly it provides that for you right off the bat. Um, weighted clusters are not supported, though. There's, there's no concept of a weighted cluster in here, okay? Um, service monitoring is supported. So if this database server over here goes down, has a problem, um, we know that that has a potential impact to the online store, and we know that it's related to database services. And, and that's, you know, a simple example of service oriented monitoring. Now, in addition to this, though, PCA is not supported. So the reason that probable cause analysis is not really supported is, let's suppose that you, you're monitoring the online store transactions up here at this level, and uh, BMC's EUEM solution um, indicates that the transaction response time has, has degraded and it's gone into an alarm. Then you right-click on that guy and you run probable cause analysis. Well, the end result, if you're using this kind of service model, is that it's going to show you all across this technology here um, all the different things that may be in an abnormal state. So it's going to give you all the abnormalities instead of grouping the abnormalities at a more granular level. It's going to give you all the abnormalities across the entire stack. Um, and, and that doesn't, you know, completely and readily support PCA. I mean, it's going to give you some results, but the results are not optimal. They're not necessarily bad, but they're not as good as they could be, okay? So another approach um, that's a little bit more granular and requires a little bit more effort 
is this concept of what we call setting up application um, CIs, you know, one for online sales in this example and another one for account management, logical CIs that represent those business applications, and then put all of the technology, um, you know, from a, a, um, a device perspective in, uh, under those CIs. So basically these application CIs become buckets of servers. So all the servers that support account management um, are assigned to the, as providers to the account management CI. And the same is true for online sales. So down here we have a database server that's called AMDB2 and AMDB1. Those are the account management database servers. And then we've got the um, AM Web Server 1 and AM Web Server 2, which are your, your account management web servers. They, all these guys obviously, you know, report up to, from an impact perspective, um, the account management CI, the logical CI there. So this, this actually gains us some capabilities here. Um, obviously, the assignment of technology is supported in the um, – well, I'll come back to that one. Let me come back to that bullet in a moment here. So the one thing that you're really picking up and gaining here is that um, PCA is fully supported here, right? The devices down here are going to be categorized based on the type of uh, monitoring that is in data that's being collected there. When I say type, I'm talking about – you know, database versus application, response time versus network, when you start looking at the PCA process and, and the, the types of um, events and so forth that come out of that, you can refer back to our previous webinars that, that discuss that. Um, and that's actually separate from service modeling itself, okay? Um, it readily supports the service-oriented monitoring approach, you know, very readily supports that. It does not support weighted clusters. We don't see any weighted clusters in here, all right? But that doesn't mean that this is bad. This may be good enough. This may be a, a good enough approach for the service models that you want to implement. Um, and also, it, it does support a, a notion of technology assignment. In other words, um, the events coming from the database servers versus the web servers contain the appropriate information for us to know, you know, what type of technology is, is causing the impact there. Um, so although we don't have, you know, quote-unquote technology buckets here, the content within the events supports that concept. Okay, so um, the most granular level of accuracy for a service model um, would be to set it up so that each application has its own unique service CIs. Service CIs meaning some, something like a cluster that defines, uh, it's a logical CI that is a cluster defining my you know, web server, um, application server services. And, and under this scenario, we're assuming that the, the, you know, these guys are um, in some sort of a cluster or a load balance type scenario. Okay, and they're supporting the same transactions and so forth. And the same is true from the database perspective. Maybe these, these databases are in an Oracle rack, for example. Okay? And both the account management um, application as well as the online sales application has their own unique constructs and so forth in the service model for this. Okay? And then I haven't said anything about security and so forth over here, but the, the general concept is you know, security is 
um, a, a, a service, a technology service that supports the, the business service. And it's kind of off by itself because um, the firewall itself, like I stated on one of the earlier slides, is really not dependent on any one of these things down here actually running. Now, quite obviously, for the transactions to process through the firewall, these, these components all have to be up and running and so forth. And so with, with this level of service modeling, you get the ability to support all of the, all of the uh, capabilities provided by the solution. Um, it, it obviously is going to support service-oriented monitoring, um, and it supports technology categorization very easily and readily, um, even outside the context of the events themselves. Um, it supports weighted clusters because ultimately these guys down here are weighted clusters. Okay, um, and it supports PCA uh, you know, fully as well. Um, now, the caveat of this simple service model is, is that this is starting to get to the point where it's not really a simple service model anymore. It's, it's more of a full-blown type of approach because you're implementing things like weighted clusters and all that kind of stuff. Now, you know, whether or not that is simple or easy to implement um, versus hard and difficult to implement is really very important. And a key thing to remember in this entire conversation is that the, the ability and how easy it is to implement all of these capabilities is not just driven by the product itself. It's also driven by the type of data that's available that the product can consume in order to implement this. Okay, so, so what do I mean by that? Well, I've deliberately created this, this example that has all of the servers that belong to um, the account management application. They're, the host names are deliberately named such that they start with the letters AM, and they, they therefore designate that um, these particular servers belong to account management versus um, all the servers that belong to sales, they start with sales, right? So from a ADDM perspective and setting up TPL and CAM and all of that, you can leverage that kind of data to quite easily build, dynamically and automatically build a service model like this. And even if you don't use ADDM and you have this data in some kind of a database or um, you know, so, some other structured format that's um, that, that, can, that is accurate and, and readily supports the collection of the data. Um, you could even use Perl scripts or some kind of another mechanism around the direct data feed capabilities to quite quickly and automatically populate the service model. But if you don't have some kind of data like this to leverage, and it doesn't have to be just host name. I'm using that as an example, okay? Key thing to understand, though, is, is if you don't have some kind of reliable structure in your data, in your environment, in some shape, form, or fashion that can be leveraged by ADDM and or leveraged by a direct data feed process, then the, the ability to you know, accurately first build a service model that includes all of these weighted clusters as well as keep it up to date automatically becomes a lot more difficult, okay? So again, it's not just the product, it's, it's the data that the product can actually leverage and what's available in your environment that needs to be considered here. 
Um, and, and I think our recommendation would be if the data is there and available, then, you know, and you can leverage it without a whole lot of effort, then definitely, you know, leverage it. Why, why would you not do this if the data is available, okay? But if the data is not readily available and it's going to take you a lot of effort to make it available and, and manage it and it's going to take you, you know, considerable amount of time, um, and, and it, maybe even you don't see a way, a, a clear way to actually, you know, uh, gather this data through ADDM and CAM, leveraging the CAM capability of ADDM and or some other mechanisms and so forth. Um, you, at that point, you should probably step back and say, okay, what is the value of these weighted clusters? And, and what should I, what can I do to implement a service model um, that's good enough for my particular business, you know, uh, needs and so forth. And this, this previous example of a bucket of servers may actually be good enough for you, okay? It may be good enough for you. It supports PCA, supports um, monitoring from a service perspective and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, at that point, you may go ahead and implement this level of service modeling, and then maybe at some future date, if you find a way to, um, implement and manage the, the automated data collection that supports a more granular service model, then, you know, by all means you could, could embark on, on a project to, to improve it and so forth. Um, and, and so I think if, if you don't take anything away from this presentation, um, the one thing that, if you take just one thing away from this presentation, I think it's that key point. You know, what is the business value of the effort that it takes to, to support all these different capabilities, and which ones do you really need and which ones do you not really need, um, and how quickly you know, do you need to get this thing up and running and so forth from a, a service modeling perspective. That's really the, the, the key to this whole discussion about simple service modeling. You really need, I think, to approach it from that perspective. Okay? So now, now let's talk about the different methods, and then we'll wrap up. Um, First of all, the use cases for simple service modeling. Here's a diagram that basically shows, and it looks like I may actually be missing a slide here somehow, um, but there, th this, this concept um, is to use the, um, the, the TrueSight Administration Console to actually build your service models, where you go in and you create your CIs, and then you, um, you go in and you, you set up um, you know, your, your weighted clusters if necessary. You basically, you're doing it all manually here, okay? Um, and this slide represents, um, you know, setting up weighted clusters from a manual perspective. And as you can imagine, this would be quite a, an arduous task in a large environment. Um, so it, it might be a lot easier for you, instead of doing, um, implementing weighted clusters, you may decide to just implement a decreasing type of approach so that all of those servers that, that um, was there a question or a comment? Uh, I think someone had uh, a mute. Okay, sorry. Sorry for the interruption there. Are we still there, Cedric? We are still there. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, so the idea here is, is you can implement a decreasing type of approach so that when the servers or monitored you know, devices and so forth that belong to a particular um, bucket of servers that represents an application, 
when they have a particular problem, they could propagate a status upstream that goes from, you know, let's say critical to warning, um, so that we put the the um, the application CI into a warning state while the actual device that's got a problem has a critical state associated with it, um, and, and leverage that kind of approach instead of implementing a weighted cluster. That's really what these two slides are, are intended to, to represent. Now let's talk about uh, the different methods. Build, manually building service models first. You know, quite obviously, you can manually build a service model in the TrueSight um, admin console, as, as you see represented here. Generally, if you've got the CMDB implemented, we'd recommend that you build your service models in IMD and publish them over to uh, TrueSight. But if for some reason you don't have the, the CMDB in place or it's, it's um, you know, that part of the project or whatever is on hold for some reason or another, or maybe you've got one of these other scenarios that was mentioned earlier, such as incompatible versions or something like that, then you could manually go build service models um, through the, the admin console. Um, and basically you go in and you create your CIs, uh, provide the appropriate you know, names and so forth, and fill out the right information here. Doesn't mean you have to implement all of the information that I've entered here. So for example, owner name and things like that may or may not be necessary for whatever your use cases are. So again, you know, go back to the use cases, the business use cases, what, what are you trying to accomplish? What's good enough for your environment? Not only from a modeling perspective, but also the details that go into creating the CIs and so forth. And then here's an example of how you would go in again and um, configure relationships manually through the admin console. Okay, okay, so that's great. But but when would you when would you actually want to do that? When when does it make sense to manually build models? And I have seen some customers who've actually done this um, when no service model source data is available at all. You don't have ADDM in place. You don't have the CMDB in place. You have no other you know source of data that you could use through some kind of scripting approach to populate the data. Also, the service model data, um, source, uh, the source data that you've been given may not be trusted. You may not, you may have looked at it and said, you know, this data is just not good enough. It's, it's going to require a tremendous amount of editing of this data to um, leverage it in a service model. If you've got a scenario like that, then it makes sense to actually go, you know, build the service model manually. Uh, probably one of the, the, the biggest reasons for building a model manually, whether you're doing it through the admin console or through IMD, is if the model's really, really small, if you've only got you know, 50 nodes in a service model, why would you try to leverage discovery and all that kind of stuff unless you're trying to automate the process and you know the, know the environment changes rapidly? Why would you try to you know, leverage all the other capabilities of the solution stack when you could could create it manually in the same amount of time, or maybe even less time. Okay. Advantages of of this uh, approach versus other simple service modeling approaches or methods is there's no custom work required. You're not creating any custom scripts or you know anything like that. Um, there's no third part custom or third party code required. There's no dependency on external data sources or components, meaning external from TrueSight operations. Um, and, and there's the UI basically prompts for and controls your data entry. 
okay? Um, so, you're, you know, there's no scripting that's just pushing data into the back end. You're entering the data through the front end, which has some, you know, level of control around it that helps prevent errors and things like that. Um, disadvantages. Well, obviously, the work is all manual. Um, because it's all manual, it could be very time-consuming, um, especially if you have a large amount of data to populate. So if your service model is not relatively small, we really wouldn't recommend this approach because it could take you a significant amount of time to build out the service models. Uh, there is a greater chance of error because all data is manually entered. If you, and the point there is if you have a data source that you trust and it has, you know, it, it's consistent and the data is properly formatted and so forth, then the process of loading it through a script on, from the back end doesn't introduce error compared to, you know, looking at data from... webinar, CML agent. Okay. Let's go ahead. I'm not quite sure where it's coming from. Yeah, I'm not either. Okay, thank you. Um, and then the last disadvantage, and this one's quite obviously, is there's no automation to manage environment changes. Um, so if your your environment changes rapidly, then a manual approach is, is very likely not going to support your needs. Okay, some do's and don'ts around manually building models. Um, recommend that you create the CIs first. And ultimately, you really can't create relationships until you have CIs created. So, you know, create all of the CIs first and then go back and create the relationships. Um, use the appropriate CI classes for each CI. There's documentation on our CI classes and what they mean and so forth. So definitely leverage that um, appropriately. Uh, as an example, you know, if, if, some, if you're going to create a cluster, then it needs to be defined as a cluster versus um, a BMC computer system or something like that, okay? Um, use the appropriate relationship types and status propagation. And again, that's going to be dependent upon whatever your business needs are. Um, you know, back to the other the example that's been mentioned multiple times now is that a decreasing type relationship from provider CIs might be good enough for you um, instead of you going in and, and, you know, creating weighted clusters and that kind of thing. Um, be sure to pick the appropriate cell. So you'll find that in the admin console, the default cell might be a remote cell versus the embedded cell running on a TrueSight server. Um, Consider, also consider future plans. Are, are you going to implement discovery in CMDB later? And if, if so, how soon? You might want to delay if, it, if that's going to be implemented soon enough. Um, or if it's not going to be implemented soon enough, you need to think about what kind of uh, data is going to be provided by it, and is that going to completely replace the work you're doing now? Or is it going to augment the work you're doing and, and you know, things like that? And, and how might you migrate from what you've done today to a more full-blown solution later. Um, and one of the key things about manually entering service models, and this may be relatively obvious, but, but don't enter unnecessary data. You know, don't think you have to enter all the data like an owner, as an example, that I showed earlier for each CI. That may not be necessary for your business needs, okay? Um, 
So now let's talk about the scripting model method. When to use Perl scripts to load service model data. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of go into an example of this and why you would use a script rather than just trying to use um, pposter and or mposter. Um, first of all, if you have a large volume of, of service model data, that's, that's clearly a reason to use scripting because you want to, you know, speed up the whole process and not have to manually enter it. So you've got a data source that you trust and that, you know, trust meaning the data is accurate and it's in a consistent format, um, both from a, you know, a source perspective, a layout perspective, as well as the content of the data. Um, the, the source of service model data is, you know, accurate and trusted ultimately, and the sources can provide the data in a CSV format or at least some kind of consistent format. Now, the example that I'm going to go through here leverages a, a CSV format, but that it doesn't have to just be CSV. It could be some other format. It just has to be a very consistent and trusted format. Um, advantages of, of a scripting approach like this is, and using Perl specifically is that Perl is already installed with TrueSight. You know, some of the TrueSight capabilities leverage Perl, so you've already got Perl installed with TrueSight. Um, large data loads can be populated very quickly in bulk. Literally thousands of records can be published in just a few minutes. Okay? Um, the process can also be automated. So if the, and that kind of depends on the source of data itself. If the source provides the data updates in an automatic manner, like maybe dropping a CSV file periodically to a particular location, um, you know, in the network, then the process could be run on a periodic basis to update the service model. Um, and also, the scripting leverages TrueSight commands. Uh, at least, you know, the examples that I'm going to provide here are, are, are direct, quote-unquote, direct data feed mechanism or process that we talk about ultimately leverages a command line utility called pposter or um, like in the example I'm going to provide, it's actually leveraging mposter. Now, we ultimately recommend you use pposter for some reasons I'll talk about a little bit later. Okay, so the, the disadvantages of a scripting approach is that scripts must be created and or tested. Okay, and ultimately you own the scripts. Um, you know, BMC, as I stated earlier, a BMC can um, a customer support person may not know anything about the script you've created. They understand pposter and mposter, but they may not, you know, fully quickly understand your specific Perl scripts. Um, scripts from one environment um, and set of use cases may require editing for other environments. So, you know, you could we could actually provide you a script that we've created um, as a starting point, but most likely for your specific use cases. And in, within your environment, it's very likely that you would need to edit those scripts to support your needs. Okay, um, limited to con there's limited control of data entry, meaning the script runs and pushes data into um, in, into TrueSight, um, and you don't have the the you know the GUI control over what actually gets entered there. So there's an assumption that a, the data source that you're pulling from is appropriate, and B, that you've tested the scripts and all that kind of stuff and, and tested the results and whatnot. Okay? And analysis of errors is generally a little bit more tedious. 
So the script could fail. Um, it may fail on certain records. And then you've got to go analyze why did this fail. You know, it's not, not quite as straightforward as entering something in a GUI. For example, trying to enter a BMC computer system CI and failing to, to enter the host name for that. Uh, the GUI is going to prompt you on that. Okay. Um, scripting mechanism, you're going to have to look at the output of the script and understand, you know, you know, what happened there and then go fix the problem from that perspective. Okay. So, to understand, you know, why would we implement a custom script to bulk load data, okay, first thing to understand is that pposter and mposter, um, they're designed so that they leverage data from a Baroque format. And this is an example of a, of a Baroque format where you've got a BMC database type CI. Um, the UID is going to be comp1. The name is comp or comp zero, the name is comp zero also. You know, overly simplified example here. It came straight out of the product docs, uh, but deliberately simple so that it's easy to understand. Um, another one is um, the BMC, a BMC application CI, comp one and, and comp two, comp meaning um, component, basically. And then we've got a BMC impact relationship, okay, that ties these two, two together. So this is the example from the documentation as to, as to what the, the data you know, would look like being fed into um, either mposter or um, even pposter as well. Okay? And you know, quite obviously, when you start thinking about data sources you may have in your environment, including ADDM, they don't necessarily provide this data, that data in this type of format. And you also basically see only like three records here, okay? What if you've got a whole bunch of different records um, and, and you, need to, you know, need to load those records up quickly? Well, the thing to do is to create this custom script that I've talked about, okay? And, and to leverage something like a CSV type format where the data is structured such that the first you know, portion before a comma is the name of the CI, the, then the second one is the class it belongs to, then maybe primary capability and so forth. I'm not going to read all these off, but you can see here that, that this data is, you know, structured in a format um, that's in most cases going to be more easily obtained from uh, maybe ADDM or if ADDM is not being used, could be exported from a database very quickly and easily, okay? And it also could be, you know, reviewed and analyzed and so forth within um, Excel very easily because you can just open up a CSV formatted file in Excel and sort it and, and, and look at it and so forth. And maybe even from an initial perspective, um, you know, make some bulk changes, a search and replace type changes in, in Excel. Now, you, that's not necessarily what you'd want to do from an ongoing perspective, uh, meaning supporting changes and that kind of stuff. Um, you, you would need, you'd want to script around that so that you could automate those kinds of changes and whatnot to, to reformat data depending on how the data is formatted and the source that it's coming from. But I think you get the general idea here. If you can get this data into a record format like this, then a script can process this data, and ultimately what the script will do is, is read this data and then construct the appropriate commands um, with the appropriate arguments and whatnot 
to load the data record by record using P poster and or M poster. Okay. Um, now, in this example I'm showing you, some key things to understand here is that any particular class does not necessarily all have, they don't all necessarily require or even have a primary capability or necessarily a cluster type. Okay. So, for example, the only you know, class that logically would have some kind of cluster type assigned to it would be the BMC cluster class. You wouldn't put a cluster type necessarily assigned to um, a BMC computer system. That, that just wouldn't make sense. Okay. Um, and another thing to understand about this, this format and this structure is that this is very simple. I deliberately made it simple so that it's easy to talk about and easy to understand and you can get it all on one slide. But these different um, you know, columns in, in the spreadsheet or columns in the CSV file, they represent different attributes of the CIs. So you could have pr base priority could be one thing that you add to this as an example. Or owner or company or um, you know, any, any other um, configurable um, attribute or setting associated with CIs could be added to this um, for your particular business purposes. Now, a comment on, on enhancing and adding, this, adding things like this, the more robust you make this, the less simple it gets. So, you know, keep in mind your overall reasoning for simple service modeling. If you're going to enhance these capabilities and build a really robust uh, scripting mechanism, then you're starting to get into the area where you're, you know, you're really implementing a full-blown um, service model management and, and, and service modeling, you know, automated manipulation of, of, of the data and so forth. Um, and if you're going to do that, well, you, what you really should be doing is implementing the CMDB and you know, leveraging the solution suite as intended you know, out of the box and so forth, rather than going with a simple service modeling approach. So keep in, in mind the overall purpose of simple service modeling, i.e., it's simple, not you know, complex and robust. Okay? Um, now, the scripting mechanism, methodology the, the example that we've got here leverages a separate file for the relationships. And that's important because the relationships can't really be created, whether they're done manually or automatically. They can't really be created until the CIs are created. You've got you to know what CI is a, a provider to a, another CI before you can create the actual relationships. Okay? So in this example, we've just got um, you know, these various CIs um, assigned to the different relationships here. Um, you know, there's a provider and a consumer column here. And here's what the propagation model is for each relationship um, and what's the, the initial state and, and status weight and things like that. And this, this is very simple. This could be extended as well. There's, there's more attributes related to relationships um, that you could add to this. But again, the more you add, the more complex you're making it and the further away you're getting, getting from um, a, a quote-unquote simple service modeling approach. This is what the script actually looks like. I apologize if this is a little hard to read. The, um, and this is just the main routine for this particular script. I um, kind of stole this from some guys in uh, customer, or excuse me, in, in consulting services. Did a little bit of editing on it, but not much. Basically, what happens here is um, 
there's first a loop that goes in and it, it, it basically reads all the records, all the records from the uh, CI data source, not the relationship data source, but the CI data source are put into an array here. Um, and then, then we go about a process where we are ultimately constructing the command for imposter, okay? Um, and we open a, a pipe to the cell, and then we, we run the imposter command to populate each record. And this is basically a loop that goes through all the records in the array and um, ultimately, you know, populates a record for each CI into uh, the TrueSight um, Service Impact Management cell, okay? And there's a little bit of error checking here and, and some output um, that's provided and so forth. And then the next step that it takes is, is it, it reads the data source for the relationships, um, and it, it goes off and queries using M, the mQuery command, goes off and queries the um, cell to see what the UIDs are for each CI in order to properly construct the uh, the relationships, because the relationships within, when you look at the actual relationships within uh, the cell, they don't actually have the provider and consumer CI names. Instead, they refer to the UIDs, okay? And again, we open a pipe and use imposter here and so forth uh, to populate those records. Now, this really should be updated and it's a kind of a to-do for myself, is to update this to use pposter instead of mposter. We generally recommend that you use pposter instead of mposter for publishing, um, you know, leveraging the direct data feed capability and, and publishing service models that way using a script or even, uh, well, it, it ultimately you'd be using scripts for this, um, instead of mposter. However, if you're using mposter today, um, you know, don't throw up your hands and think there's a problem. You know, imposter is still, still supported. It's not going away or anything like that anytime soon. Now, to be successful with this and avoid issues, you ultimately need a defined process around, you know, collecting the data, analyzing the data, creating the scripts, and so forth. I'm not going to go through all the detailed steps here, and, and ultimately these are not, you know, super detailed steps, but I have found that, you know, following some kind of, um, you know, defined process that makes sense and, and puts some structure around creating the scripts, testing the scripts, and so forth will help keep you out of trouble. The key things to understand here is, you know, quite obviously the data source needs to provide the data in a consistent and accurate format, okay? Um, the scripting could ultimately, you know, you know, change that format or, or leverage uh, adjustments to the format and so forth, but the format needs to be very consistent and it needs to have uh, data that's reliable in it. So your first thing to do is, is to look at your data source and say, is it, and determine that, is this data source something that I can even script around and work with, okay? Um, then the Perl script, obviously, if that's true, or you think that's true, then obviously the Perl script has to process the data. It's going to process the data and use pposter um, or mposter. Again, we prefer pposter to actually populate the data. And, and if, if that does work, if your script works properly and so forth, um, was that successful, then you ultimately need to validate the service model, which means does the service model look right? 
through the BPPM or, or the and or the TrueSight console? And in addition to that, does it function properly? You, know, you need to generate some events against that, that service model in a test environment and make sure that it functions as expected. And then if it's valid, you're done. Okay? But if it's not valid, then you need to go back and analyze, well, you know, what's the problem? Is it the script I've created? Or is there some underlying, you know, more fundamental issue in the data that needs to be adjusted so that the script can properly leverage the data? Um, so, you know, following a, a process and a defined routine like this, I think can help, you know, uh, speed up and, and improve your results in, in creating scripts and so forth, okay? Scripting model methods, some do's and don'ts, and then I, I promise we're not going to run too long over. We're starting to run a little bit over here. Um, but some do's and don'ts on, on the scripting model method. Um, definitely test the scripts and all the data in a test environment before applying to production. One of the great things about scripting is that it's really pretty easy to take literally thousands of records and push it into a small development system and, and then test it. You know, look at, look at how the service model um, is depicted in the GUI and then actually test some basic events in it using maybe something like msend if you need to, okay? Um, definitely avoid hard-coding values into the scripts, okay? Uh, you, you really shouldn't hard-code the cell names as an example or hard-code anything else that's a variable because if you do that, then the scripts aren't portable from development to test and so forth. The more you have to go edit a script to get what worked in test to actually work in production, the greater a chance of error you're going to have in production. So try to, try to get it set up so that you're not doing any editing when you actually move to production. You just take the trusted data that you know works and the trusted script that you have tested and that you know works and you just apply it to production. Be aware of dependencies and test for them. So for example, uh, as I stated before, the B, any CI that's a BMC computer system class CI, it's going to require a host name. It's going to need a host name. So you need to provide that. Um, separate the, the CI and relationship data into separate data sources. Recommend that primarily because the uh, creation of relationships is ultimately dependent on CIs already existing. Some things not to do. Um, don't use a scripting approach if you don't have a trusted data source. There's, you know, you got to have good data um, in order to do any kind of automated loading. So if you just don't have a good trusted data source, you may actually be stuck with manually creating uh, the, the, the service models anyway. Um, um, also, don't create overly complicated scripts. Okay? They're harder to maintain. And then in addition to that, as I stated before, the more complicated your scripts get and the more complicated your quote-unquote simple service modeling methodology becomes, the further away from quote simple service modeling you're getting, you're, you're starting to defeat the overall purpose of simple service modeling. And again, refer back to you know, what your business needs, what are the overall requirements, and what are the nice-to-haves that you might be able to drop. Now, just a, some real quick, and I'm going to go through this very quickly. We're not getting a lot of detail on it. Just want you to be aware that um, there's a, a couple of folks, a number of folks that have introduced Pentaho to a number of customers where Pentaho is used 
to support this simple service modeling approach, um, it, it's ultimately, think of it as a, a much more robust uh, methodology versus using just Perl scripts, okay? You can set up what, and create what are Pintaho jobs. There's some that have been, um, you know, created in, in, by, by BMC um, consultants um, that could be leveraged and so forth, and they've been introduced to a few customers. And then in addition to that, Pintaho has what are called transforms built into them that you can create and edit um, and so forth that allow you to evaluate, collect, evaluate, and man manipulate the data that is fed into the jobs, basically. Um, so it's a more robust mechanism for, um, you know, collecting data from various sources. It may not just be CSV files. It could be data that's sitting off in a database somewhere. Um, and, and then manipulating that data and even making, analyzing the data and, and making some automated decisions on the data. If certain information doesn't exist, then create the information. If it does exist, then use it. If you need to concatenate data or something like that, then, you know, those kinds of things can be um, created and, and, and processed in these transforms um, and then easily reused, okay? Um, so when, when would you use Pentaho versus a just a Perl scripting mechanism? Well, first of all, you need to have all the conditions in place that would cause you to want to use a Perl script to start with. And then in addition to that, okay, and in addition to that, um, you may have multiple sources of data for service modeling that are coming from different, you know, sources and are in different formats. Maybe some of it's in a database. Maybe some of it's available in CSV files. Maybe some of it's in some other format somewhere um, that, that you can pull from, okay? And it's harder to, to manipulate and manage that and, and try to automate that from a scripting perspective, and you can leverage the capabilities of Pentaho um, to, to make that a, a more easily repeatable process. Um, and you also may require some more sophisticated management of service model data, like maybe you're trying to automatically um, provide some kind of basic re reconciliation of duplicates, okay, and not have to, to handle that in um, in, um, in a Perl script. Also be aware that regarding duplicates, this is somewhat dependent on whether or not you're using mPoster or pPoster. One of the advantages of, of, um, of pPoster is the the the, um, the 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 default capability where when you go to, to apply a new record, if that record already exists, it's going. It will not update that record or delete that record. It'll just ignore the the initial entry. Now that's configurable and so forth, and you can get more robust with this um, leveraging Pentaho. So it's not just you know basic reconciliation that I'm I'm referencing here with Pentaho. You may have some additional criteria that you want to leverage that, um, you know, comes into the reconciliation process here. And again, the, the intent here is not to replace reconciliation um, within the CMDB. We've got reconciliation jobs that handle duplicates and that kind of stuff out of the, uh, through the CMDB mechanism. So when you start to implement Pentaho, you need to really, you know, take a step back and say, is this something that I want to do, or can I actually achieve what I'm trying to do through um, a complete implementation of the CMDB integration and so forth? Um, also, things like automated assignment of IDs and or alias data and so forth 
um, is something else that you might want to consider with Pintao. Things like that become easier, although there's more upfront work to set it up and test it with Pintaho, it may be easier to, to do that and handle that um, um, versus using a scripting approach. Advantages of Pintaho, there is drag and drop capability when you go to configure Pintaho, configuring you know, your, your jobs, configuring your transforms, drag, drop, right click, all that kind of stuff. Um, can can ultimately allows you to create a fairly sophisticated process um, that can be automated and so forth, rather than having to actually write a bunch of uh, Perl code and whatnot. So you can speed up the the process there. Um, and it, it just ultimately supports more robust capabilities, more easily, I should say, supports robust capabilities versus the scripting method. Uh, disadvantages: it requires installing and learning Pentaho. Okay, obviously. Um, and it may require more effort to initially set up depending on whatever the use cases are. Um, okay, so some, some general recommendations and tips here. Um, definitely use the CMDB and solution integrations if they're available. Um, leverage pposter instead of mposter for scripting when you're doing a, da a direct data feed. Okay, pposter helps um, prevent duplicates. And it's our latest mechanism for, um, you know, pop publishing service models into TrueSight. And that applies not only from um, a direct data feed mechanism, um, but in a sense also from um, the CMDB. The CMDB and pposter both leverage the uh, publishing server. So if you're not aware of that, that's, that's, um, that's kind of one of the things that's going on on the back end there. Um, do not... Produce service models that are so complex, or excuse me, they're so simple they cannot properly support PCA. Okay, so, you know, again, go back to whatever your business needs are. If you need to support PCA, if that's one of your, your requirements and your intentions, then you need to have a service model that is granular enough such that it supports PCA. Um, don't develop advanced service model building and management capabilities that, that ultimately facilitate the same capabilities of an entire BMC solution suite, okay? It just doesn't make sense. You, you know, you've, you've purchased a solution with the CMDB and the integration to TrueSight and all that kind of stuff and ITSM and all the things that we do there for a reason. You should leverage those capabilities rather than trying to build something else, you know, outside the product that ultimately does the same thing. Now, you may have some certain use cases that, um, um, you know, that the, that the out-of-the-box solution doesn't completely support for you, and, you know, then, then that's something we need to look at, and, and um, um, you know, it would be an enhancement request in many cases, as well as looking at how we may support it um, using some customizations. Also, don't import, export, and manage data externally from the CMDB when the CMDB is available and integrated with TrueSight. That generally doesn't make sense. Now, there may be some corner use cases where that does make sense, um, but in, in, in most cases, it's really not going to make a lot of sense to do that. Um, some more do's and don'ts, and then we'll wrap up. Definitely, when you're going to go create uh, simple service models, whether it be manually or through a, a direct data feed mechanism, um, you definitely need to understand the CI classes and review that information from our product documentation and, and use the CI classes appropriately, meaning assign the right CI classes to the right CI types as well as the attributes for the CIs that make sense and so forth. OK, 
Okay, so be aware that you know not all not all CIs share the same attributes. Um, you can define, for example, you can define a primary capability for a BMC computer system CI, but primary capability doesn't really make sense and doesn't apply to a BMC cluster CI. Okay, that'll actually fail if you try to load that kind of data. Um, remember when CIs are deleted in the GUI that relationships for them are also deleted. So you can go into the admin GUI, and I, I didn't provide you a screenshot of this, but in, within the admin GUI, if you go to the data tab and you look at service model components, you can go in there and, and just select a whole bunch of service model components and delete them all at one time. When you do that, that will also delete the relationships for them, which is kind of nice. You don't need to go in and delete the relationships and then go back and delete the CIs. Okay. You can do it all in one shot by just deleting uh, the CIs. Um, definitely follow previous best practices for service modeling. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, you know, follow the, the best practices for service modeling and um, avoid manually entering or editing bulk data. Um, when you're entering when you're entering bulk data, you should be entering that through a scripting process or through um, Pentaho. And then lastly, um, you know, do not add CIs that are already monitored devices. You're going to find that when a, in a when a device is populated into TrueSight from the patrol data collection components, um, that a a CI is automatically created for it within the um, within the cell. So when you go back to the admin console and you look at the service um, model components, then you're going to actually see CIs created for all those devices. And it's unnecessary for you to actually, you know, create the devices additionally when you're, when you're creating service models. And, and you need to be cognizant of that um, and, and not do that. And then in addition to that, you need to make sure that the relationship source data contains the appropriate information for you to actually, you know, script the building of the relationships um, against those CIs, okay? Um, don't use a combination of CMDB integration and direct data feed to build service models. That, that just generally doesn't make sense. Um, you know, pick one or the other um, and, and go with it. Pick the one that's best for your environment and go with it. That's all we have for this um, session. I apologize for running a little bit over here. Um, and information that you know that you you want to pull up, pull for this. Um, you know, obviously we're going to publish this on the website as we always do, and definitely leverage the product documentation as well, like I've already stated. Uh, thanks very much for attending the session and for viewing it. If you're doing that later, thanks. And back to you, Cedric. All right, thanks, Edson, and I uh, really appreciate you guys uh, joining and uh, taking the time out of your busy days to attend this. We will post the uh, recording as well as a PDF of the uh, the content itself on the BMC community site. So if, if you've not registered or uh, followed the, the main site for BPPM95 webinars, please do so, and you'll automatically get the update. Otherwise, check back in a, a couple of days, and it should be posted. Other than that, have a great rest of your, uh, your day or evening, wherever you are, and thanks again. We'll look forward to the next session around the mid-November timeline. Thank you very much. Take care. And thank you. That does conclude today's presentation. Thank you for your participation.